Oh, okay. Okay, good morning, church. Okay, let us rise as we worship the Lord today. Yeah. Let me be your name when I found in the 
Yes, Lord. Blessed be your name. Let us all come forward today as we praise and worship the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this day that we can just gather physically or virtually to worship you today, Lord. I just thank you for the state that Singapore is in now, Lord, that we are able to you know, gather here. We just worship you today. Is my. 
you to take a seat. I invite the congregation to quiet your hearts as we go into a time of prayer. Father God, we ask that in this time, you lead us into your heart to know your concerns so that Father, our heart can also be together with you as one. Father, we live in a very chaotic world today. Whether it's the pandemic that we are facing or the protests that we are seeing in different countries. Father, all this news as it come to us, Lord, do not let it just pass us by. Because we know that it concerns you. Let it also concern us. Let us also feel, Lord, what you feel. It's been a year, Father, since we have this coronavirus around us. Don't let us get too used to it, Lord. Continue to put hope and desire in our heart, Lord, to see the beauty of this world that you have created. Even though now, Father, we are struggling very much in many countries against, Father Lord, the infection, whether is it local or imported, Father, let all these numbers become numbers, but let it, let it become a prayer concern for us to live it up to you. Let it be a channel, Father Lord, for us to get close to you, to understand you, to love you. Father, we pray for Malaysia. Lord, we just pray for our neighbouring country because we see the numbers rising every day. And Father, it is worrying. As we trust in your sovereignty over, Lord, our neighbours, because they're so close to us, we ask you to have mercy and compassion in their land as well. Lord, may you just bring recovery to the land. Help the leaders, help the workers there to continue to set things, Lord, in the right order so that recovery can come. And Father, you help our brothers and sisters who are in their land to also be a testimony of your love. Father, in this situation, help them to be able to reach out continue to touch lives and change situations so that Father your love is being brought will be brought Father into the community that is so struggling Father we also want to pray for the country of Myanmar as well this is a situation Father Lord that's escalating in that country and Father, only you can know, Lord, the rush of emotions that is 
flowing through that land now. The anger of the people on the streets as they protest. The despair, Father Lord, of the families as they hide behind the safety of their house. Father, the control of the army that is being sent in, Lord, to disperse the people. Lives are being lost. Father, the land is in despair, and only you can bring hope. Because, Lord, your kingdom is one of peace, it's one of love, it's one of assurance. We pray, Father Lord, for our brothers and sisters in the land of Myanmar. Lord, you lift them up, Lord, and help them to be the light, be the sword even at this time, with much wisdom, with much strength, to their Father with much leading by the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, they can, Father, Lord, bring about, Father, your kingdom into this current land that is running amok. Teach our church, Father, Lord, how to come to you and pray as a body to honour you. Give us, Father, Lord, your heart for our church as well, that you continue, Father Lord, to guide us and lead us and show us, Father Lord, how we can be part of a tool of your kingdom to reach out, Father, to the community around us. Father, even in the current situation, there are many closed doors. People are shying away, Father, from public. But Father, will you not lead us in creative ways to reach out, Lord, to touch lives and to bring about transformation. Lord Jesus, it is a beautiful thing to know you. And Lord, we want to bring this beauty from our lives into the life of others. So teach us, Father, to know you and Father, Lord, to be able to bring that, Lord, to the people around us. The A-levels result has just been released. Father, we continue to pray that even though the results are fixed, but continue to remind those who have received the results that it does not define them. Because, Lord, you are who, they are who you say they are and you call the ultimate shot in their life's journey. Help them, Father Lord, to give thanks regardless of what the result is and to continue to trust you, Father Lord, in the journey ahead to bring, Father Lord, to you what their plans because, Father, when they do that, Lord, it is only then that you can prosper their plans for them. So, Father, we pray and thank you and all this, Lord, ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no announcement today, so um, just ask Lois to keep playing and give you a minute to uh, offer your offerings to God, whether through e-offering 
or you can bring them to the front later when you receive communion at the table. There will be boxes at the side too for you to put in your pledge. Father, we give because you have given us much. And these blessings, Father Lord, we enjoy the stability and the abundance, Lord. As we reflect on the name Jehovah Jireh, indeed, Lord, you are the provider. Father, we see not just the finances that you have given to us, but you have given us much peace in this land, stability. So let us not withhold this, Lord, but gladly and generously bring it back, Father, to your kingdom, to share it, Father, Lord, to, to give it, Father, Lord, for the purpose of your kingdom. Sometimes it takes faith, Lord, to give. And Father, we ask you to give us that faith, give us that understanding that when we give, Father Lord, it glorifies you. So Lord, we continue to ask that and trust that you will provide for the days to come. And we give thanks to you. I pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's continue to be seated. I will invite Pastor up for the doxology. Shall we stand for the doxology? Take your seats. Before I start on the sermon, I thought I would address an issue that was raised. And that is about the pain of not being able to sing at service. I know that we all feel that way and many of you watching at home don't want to come because it's, you, you can't sing. But really there are different ways of expressing and perhaps this is a good preparation for the time when we can praise again, sing again, because um, it offers us several alternatives. Um, first of all, you can mouth your words. Right? That one's easy. But other than that, there are other part, ways of expressing yourself, which is important because um, you're not doing it... Well, let's not be self-conscious about it. After a while, when you get used to it, I'm, a, I'm an extreme introvert and I don't usually do silly things like that. But after a while, you don't even want to think about what people are looking at. 
and you want to express it to God. And so there are several ways of doing it. First is hand to heart. When I was on holiday in Korea, uh, visiting uh, Cho Yonggi's church, I realised that as they sang, everyone put their hands on their heart. It was as though they were saying, God, I love you, I adore you. And it's something that's very subtle, nobody can see if they're sitting behind you. It's just a quiet, but it's a deep expression of your love for God. That's one. The other one is where you open your palms like that, and that's part of surrender, perhaps, or Lord, have your way, and God, I give you my life. So things like that action, and of course the raising of hands, that one, many of us are still self-conscious and don't want to do it. Well, get used to it maybe and try it, but it's... It is exuberance. I mean, you go to rock concert, you see people doing that too. I mean, that's part of exuberance, right? It's not about praising. It's an expression of your happiness, of your joy. And so when you want to praise God and you get used to moving your hands like that or just holding it, um, it frees you to worship. And that's what's important. It's not what people see, but it's important as you express it to God so you could try that. You could also try that at home, but I think it's harder at home than if you come in a congregation and you, we all do that together in various ways. Um, there is no compulsion. You can still continue sitting, standing up, and that's fine. But after a while, you get used to it. Of course, there are other uh, body language that perhaps are more discouraged. Uh, like that means, uh, don't you ever make me do it. Uh, like that means, well, I'm not doing it. Nobody's forcing me. And like that means, when is it going to end? Um, but but there, are, there is body language. And you express yourself to God in various ways. Okay, so, um, yeah, that. And also, um, remember my announcement last week? And um, again, no compulsion. If you have the time, encourage you after the service to gather downstairs and in groups of eights. And you need not be people you know, but maybe people that you have not met. You've seen each other week after week, but you have not really sat down and talked. Maybe you just pick one or two, and you don't even have to be in groups of eight, like just one. Say, hey, would you like to have a drink? And get to know each other. Um, it's a fun experience. And if you're feeling very apprehensive about it, just say a prayer and say, God bless our gathering, get, bless our conversation, and watch what God does. Okay, so now to... Now to the sermon. It's called A Tale of Two Kingdoms. In the past few weeks, we talked about the kingdom of heaven. And it was said, for example, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that a man finds and he feels in joy, he's in joy, he hides it. Or a pearl of great value that a merchant finds. And again, with great joy, he sells everything, he buys it. The key word here is joy, that he finds a kingdom of heaven and he is full of joy. We learned also that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is tiny, the smallest of all seeds, and yet grows to give shelter, the largest of all trees, to give shelter to many. Or the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, a little bit of yeast and it fills, it pervades the whole dough, changing the texture of the dough. But we also hear Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is upon you. When Jesus cast out demons from a deaf and, a deaf and blind man, um, sorry, blind and mute man, he then told the people, if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then indeed the kingdom of heaven is with you. And so in the past few weeks, we learned about the kingdom of heaven coming upon us. 
But today then we see a demonstration in this passage of what it means to be in two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of this world, and the kingdom of heaven. As I read the passage from Matthew chapter 14, verse 1 to 21, the first one is the kingdom of darkness, which is verse 1 to 12, and then from verse 13 to 21 is the kingdom, the second kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. I want you just to picture this as it's being read. Picture the story of how it feels. Maybe you could, some of you could even feel in your gut what it's like to be in one or the other of the kingdoms. So let's listen to the reading of these two, this story, and then we pray first and ask God to speak to us. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us, that we may know what it means for your kingdom to be upon us in our circumstances, in our homes, in our church, in our schools, in our workplace. That we may know that indeed your kingdom has come. Your kingdom rules for those who know it, for those who receive your kingdom. Speak to us, Lord, we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch is the ruler of one of, one of four rulers, so it's a king of the empire, entire empire of Roman Empire. So um, the Tetrarch is one ruler of a large province. Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew his boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to look first at the kingdom 
of this world, the kingdom of darkness. And I want to, and there are many conclusions that you can draw from this, many thoughts that you can draw from this, but I'd like to highlight three thoughts that I see characterize the kingdom of darkness. The first characteristic of the kingdom of darkness is fear. Fear characterizes the kingdom of darkness. Herod was a powerful king. He had power over life and death. He could command someone to live and someone to die. He had all the power in the world. He could have John the Baptist arrested for no other reason than for telling him he was sinful. And he could have John the Baptist killed. And yet, Herod was a powerless man. If you look at this passage, he was fearful. He was afraid of many things. First of all, he was afraid. He was afraid of the people. Verse 5, it says, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people. And so here was a kingdom over, a king over all his subjects, and yet he was afraid to do one act because he was scared of people he ruled over. How much power does a king have that he would be afraid to do something because he was afraid of his people? And yet, later on in verse, verse 8 and 9, when the girl, when the, his when his stepdaughter asked for John the Baptist's head on the platter, it says in verse 9, the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. Here again was fear. He, he, he could have said no to, to, the, to the, such a ridiculous request, and yet because of his dinner guests, he was afraid of what his dinner guests were thinking. And he was filled with fear in that sense, and he did not do it. This man, this king, was tormented by fear. He was governed, he was ruled by fear. He ruled by fear, and he was ruled by fear. And yet, at the beginning of this story, it says that King Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. He said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist, he's risen from the dead. I don't think he said it triumphantly, as in this fellow has great, let's go and worship him. But rather, it was fear again. He had just killed John the Baptist and now he was seeing someone in the form of John the Baptist doing the miracles that John the Baptist had done. He knew this was from God because who else could have done such miracles? And I believe that he was filled with fear again. Fear that he had done something wrong. Fear that he had killed a man of God. And so when he said it to his attendants that this is John the Baptist, he has risen from the dead, that is why miraculous powers are at work in him, he said it with great fear. He was afraid of what the evil, what evil he had done. Many of the people who have power over us, think of the bosses, think of subordinates. Many of us live in fear in our occupations. It is not an easy job. In fact, someone I, I was speaking to uh, a friend in middle management and he said that. There is fear all around. I'm scared of my boss, but I'm also scared of my subordinates. And one day he was asked to do a job and said, if I choose A, my bosses will be angry. But if I choose B, my staff will be angry. And if my staff are angry, they do a lousy job, and I produce nothing, my boss will be angry. And so it's a terrible dilemma, a pull from either both sides. And we rule by fear, and we live by fear. The most powerful people are always if they rule to dominate, will always rule with fear. Fear characterizes the kingdom 
of this world. The second characteristic, perhaps, I would say, would be a distortion of beauty, a distortion of all things beautiful. First of all, one wonders why on earth would Herod marry Herodias? I mean, Herodias may have been beautiful, I don't know, but certainly she was evil in her heart. She was a wicked woman. How many women, how many people would request a head on a platter? Such cruelty, such wickedness. And one wonders why, what Herod saw, what beauty Herod saw in Herodias, who wasn't even his wife or his brother's wife. Perhaps he was seduced by what was not beautiful. He was seduced by beauty that was skin deep, perhaps. Beauty that only showed in the face, but certainly did not show anywhere in the heart. But there was even greater greater distortion of beauty than this. Herodias' daughter danced beautifully. Those of you who danced, I remember at Christmas, right, you, quite a few of you danced, had this dance item that was really beautiful. And even before I came to the church, your church leaders were sending me videos of it and very proud of it. And I was told that those of you who missed the dance kept clamouring for it and asking when the next one is. So, um, uh, well, I, I think Chris may be open to starting again, I hope. Uh, we had a chat, and I, I think that, but the beauty of dance is that it is exuberant. exuberant. It expresses life. Those of you who dance love it because it is free. You are expressing things to God and to beauty. Think of this little girl who had beauty in her, dancing beautifully, and then the request from her mother, bring John the Baptist's head on a platter. I wonder what damage that did to this young girl. She may continue to live in luxury, she may continue to be the queen later on, but the damage that was done to her little heart and her mind, that all that she had beauty, all the beauty that she had, all the beauty that she appreciated, dance, expression, was marred by that request to put a man's head on the platter. What destruction of great beauty that was. And we see that again in the kingdom of this world, that it sees beauty differently and sees beauty wrongly and destroys beauty. The third about the kingdom of this world is that it fails to see unlimited, unlimited resources unlimited options. King Herod, when faced with this dilemma of killing John the Baptist at a banquet, saw no way out. There were many ways out, actually. He could have persuaded the girl, he could have refused, he could have done many other things, but he saw no way out. And he felt he had to kill this John the Baptist. Later on, we see Jesus, when faced with a bigger dilemma, bigger difficulty, bigger challenge, saw many ways out. But while serving in prison, one of the things I found about prisoners and why they committed crime was because they saw very limited options. One of the things that we often taught the prisoners then was how to look for new options. When you get angry, how do you negotiate? Because for many of them, when you get angry, you give them a punch in the face. When you get depressed, they go for drugs. But there are 
many options. And the inability to see options then leads to greater sin. Kingdom of this world sees little options for us. We look now at the kingdom of heaven and we see something refreshing. First of all, when Jesus heard that, the, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist's friend had been killed, he withdrew himself. In a way, that was a contrast. He pulled himself away from the, from the palace intrigues and the politics that were happening in the palace. But more than that, he withdrew because he was probably heartbroken. John the Baptist was his friend, was his, was his cousin. And from God's point of view, John the Baptist was the best person who ever lived on earth. What Jesus saw then was the death of a friend, someone who was precious to him. But he saw more than that. He saw evil and cruelty in this world. Herod was the king of the Jews and king of Israel. He was supposed to be the shepherd of the people, but here he was the one who started, was committing all these palace intrigues, bullying his people, hating his people. And Jesus, in sorrow and brokenheartedness, withdrew himself to a solitary place. But it wasn't to be for him. Because inconsiderate people, maybe they were not inconsiderate, they were desperate people. People wanted to come to him. And one of the reasons why they wanted Jesus was because they were neglected by, by King Herod. But people came running to Jesus and rather than pushing them away and saying, well, I need my time of grieving, I need my rest, Jesus then went out and he saw them and had compassion on them, verse 14, and healed their sick. Think of this king. This king who saw, who was tired, who was sad, who was brokenhearted, who longed to be alone for a while seeing the needs of people, refusing to drive them away, but coming to them and meeting their needs. This is the king that's being offered by God. Not a king who is ruled by fear and selfishness, but a king who sees the needs of others before his own needs. Think of what it means to be ruled by such a king. When we are in need, this king would rather put away his rest, put away his own solitude and come to watch, come to minister to us. And then he saw the people hungry. He was preaching. Actually, he didn't see the people hungry. His disciples came and said to him, send them all away. It's getting dark. They need to eat. Send them, stop and send them away. And once again, Jesus saw their need and he wasn't going to send them away hungry he wanted to feed them. Once again, the kindness in his heart. He wanted to meet even the little needs. He could easily have dismissed them. He could have sent them back. But instead, he cared for how they felt. Many of us feel that our needs are insignificant, are small, don't disturb God, don't disturb Him, just leave Him alone. And yet, even for a small thing like going hungry, God watched over them and he wanted to feed them. And then, opportunities, options. Jesus saw what none of his disciples could see. See, disciples saw this huge crowd and only two fish and five loaves. That didn't stop Jesus. He wasn't daunted by it. 
He simply saw that they were people who could be fed. He had options. And so he called his disciples to gather the people together in little groups. And then he prayed and he distributed the food. At the end of it, not only was there enough, but there were 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. But you may say then, you may argue and say, but these are two worlds. You know, Jesus withdrew himself. He got out of this world. That's not true at all. It was the same world, just two kingdoms. The people who came to listen to Jesus, who came with all their diseases, were living in the same, same world, same country as the one that Herod ruled. Herod ruled over his palace, but he ruled over these hungry people too. He was their king as well. So when they chose Jesus, they did not withdraw and go to another country. They did not leave the place. They stayed where they were, but they had a different king. They lived in a different kingdom. And that's why it's relevant to us that this kingdom of heaven in the place that we live, wicked as it is, competitive as it is, dog-eat-dog -dog world, that's where the kingdom of heaven is to be established as well. And I want us then to look at three areas. First, the area of our school and work and our corporate, our, our corporate culture. How does it, what does it mean then to have God's kingdom rule with us? First of all, there is no dichotomy between secular and religious, between church and corporate. Some people feel that it is very safe to come to church. I'd rather work in church because it's a safe place. One day I was interviewing a lady for a job in the church, and I asked her, why do you want to work in a church? And she said, because in the church there are no fights. It's a nice place. And so I asked her, um, think of the most obnoxious person in your company. And she paused a while and then thought of a name, and I said, okay, Christian, right? And then she slowly nodded and said, yeah, Christian. Church leader, right? And then she nodded, church leader. The reality is that there is no difference between corporate, corporate Singapore, corporate work, and the church. Politics is as rife, as vicious, as wicked. Kingdom, the world is the same. It's which kingdom you choose to be in. How then, when you face a kingdom like that, that is difficult, the kingdom of darkness? Perhaps one of the first things we need to remember is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, God who watches over you, it's God who provides for you, God who hears your every need. It's a God who will, even when tired, even when heartbroken, even when he wishes to be in a solitary place, will step up and help you where you are. And so when you're in school and you're being hurt by your teachers and by your classmates and bullied, there are things that you can do, of course, you can tell your teacher. But beyond all that is to turn to God the Father for help and for wisdom. In the corporate setting then, when you make a decision to, to be in the kingdom of God, you first begin to pray to your Father in heaven. The Father who watches over your needs, Father who knows what you need. Thy kingdom come. God's will will be done. We often think that we have to fight those who fight us, bite those who bite us, kill those who kill us. But 
ultimately the will of God prevails. When I first went to Barker Road, just a few months, a man came to, to my office to say goodbye to me. He was a senior vice president of a large multinational and he had just been posted to another country. And so he came to have a chat with me and to say goodbye and ask me to pray for him. Of course, I was curious about corporate politics and asked him, is your, play, is your position a very secure position? He laughed and said, well, from one point of view, it's very secure. From another, the number of people that are vying for my position, the number of people who are trying to oust me and take over because it is a good position, the chances of my being thrown out of my position are high. And I asked him, so doesn't that worry you? And he said, not at all. Because I see my position in the company as an assignment from God. If tomorrow I'm taken off as senior vice president and put in some department, demoted, or even retrenched, then, then I go where God sends me. But where I am, I do what God bids me. I do my best. I serve the people under me. I serve the people above me. I am an agent of God, a child of God. So am I afraid? No. Is my position secure? Yes and no, it's not secure at all because people are attacking me, but it's secure because God placed me there and I will be there for as long as God has placed me. That was the attitude that I think, that is the attitude that we need to begin to learn. That God places us where we are and God will leave us there, keep us there until His will is done. I know there will be many difficult questions, ethical questions in your workplace, in your school. We have to work them out one at a time. But the basic thing is first for us to say to God, God, I choose your kingdom. I belong to your kingdom and your will be done. Because this king is not a king who is a boss. This king is a king who is your servant who will see your every need and will come and meet you and minister to you. And then we look at the second thing, second about beauty, distorted beauty. And I want to talk about the family as a place of beauty. First of all, of course, Herod made a terrible mistake. He committed adultery with his brother's wife. And I say this, that one of the hardest things to do is, is to get out of, is to commit adultery. One of the most dangerous things is to commit adultery. And if you're not in it, make sure you don't do it. If you are in it, find a way of getting out. We think of the recent scandal of Ravi and how he tried to hide his sin again and again and again and got him worse and made him very vicious, even attacking the one who told him, wanted to tell him to stop it. But it leads to a very bad spiral. And I say avoid it. But I want to talk about something else in particular, and that's beauty. We are blessed with children, many of us. And the children are a gift from God, thing of beauty. You know, Jesus loves children. He says, let the children come to me. He also tells the people, many of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are hidden from you. But revealed to children. Children are precious. But you know, one of the things that I found biggest worries 
it is real worry. I, in Barker Road, we also had a kindergarten. That kindergarten graduation, I would like sometimes ask the parents, so what's it like? Biggest worry is school. Will he survive PSLE? Will they, they then survive O-levels? Will they survive A-levels? How do we help them to survive? And you know, you think about it, that the beauty of a child is often lost in all of this anxiety. We push our children to things that destroy the creativity, things that mold them in certain ways that are not helpful. I think the first thing we need to realize about our children is that they're a gift from God, precious, beautiful Think people that we can learn from, people that we can admire, because there's so much beauty in them. I think of the daughter of Herodias and how she was destroyed. She may remain alive, but really she's the walking dead. All that joy of beauty of dance, of all that God had given her, destroyed because the mother wanted to use her for her own ends. We need also to remember that children are to be nurtured and loved and most importantly, appreciated. Thanks given to God every day for our children, young and old. Sometimes when they've grown old, we say too late. Actually, it's not. It's no time to start loving our children. But I want to talk also about the tyranny, tyranny in families. Many of our families live in pain. And let's be frank, for many people in the neighbourhood, I mean, I, in church, I've had many counselling cases. Biggest enemy is our spouse. Second enemy is our mother-in-law. Third enemy is our daughter-in-law. <laughs> Bible tells us, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you. Frankly, if we were to admit that, that often our biggest enemies are those at home who cut us, who hurt us. Is there a solution to that? Well, the solution, if we were to face the problem spouse or the problem mother-in-law, the problem daughter-in-law, then we enter into the kingdom of darkness. We fight them tooth and nail. Can't stand you. I will do everything to hurt you. And that brings us in the kingdom of darkness. But if we were then to turn and say, Jesus, you be king, then we learn from him. We say, love those who hurt us, love our enemies. And we learn to pray for them, pray for God's blessing upon them. We do good to them, even when we feel hurt. That's where the kingdom of heaven is. It is onerous initially. When you see the fruit, it becomes great joy. So living in the kingdom of heaven in your family, you get to choose. Is it the kingdom of this world or is it the kingdom of God? And third then, limited resources. I want to talk about our church. You know, when I read two fish and, two fish and five loaves and two fish, exactly like our financial situation in Agape, that's about all we have left, five loaves and two fish. Or you think about the number of people in our church how to do work, five loaves and two fish also, hardly enough. But I, I think about Jesus, right? He looks at this little meagre offering that's been brought to him. 
And his disciples are just flabbergasted. They're just at the wit's end. You're going to feed 5,000 men besides women and children with two fish and five loaves. And Jesus says, go and line them up, group them into little groups, and then start distributing the food. To Jesus, options were limitless. And that's really the same for us. We take that step. We look not at the resources that we have. We look at where the hungry people are. Jesus sees the options. He wants us to see the need. And then Jesus directs us to do things. You know, one of the funny things about my coming is when people ask me, so what plans do you have for this church? And I say, got blank slate. Blank slate means up there, nothing. La. <laughs> blank slate, right? And it's good and it's bad. It's good because you don't have any preconceived ideas. I don't have some template from another church to bring and then put it for you. So that's good. Bad is, I know as little as you, but, but basically where my heart and where my convictions are is where your heart, where your convictions are, where your leader's hearts are. That the conviction is this, that we have a Father who provides. We have a world that has needs. And we learn to take step by step where our Father leads us. Yesterday I had breakfast with a man who was working in Myanmar, but then in his spare time he helped in, um, he helped in a Bible college there. And he noticed that this Bible college had a lot of computers. None of them were of any use. Donors kept giving all the ones that couldn't be, worked, that couldn't be, couldn't be used. So he felt a heavy burden. Buy them eight laptops. He tried, started raising money and finally the money came, but when he tallied them, it was too, still too little to buy eight laptops. He tried one shop and then couldn't. And so he prayed. And the Holy Spirit seemed to tell him, don't worry, la. next week you'll be able to afford. And he, of course, said, no such thing. La. So he started exploring shop after shop after shop. And all of them was unaffordable. And still the Spirit told him, you just wait one week and you will be able to buy them. Finally, quite ashamed of himself, he stopped and said, okay, God, you have it your way. One week later, the moment the week turned, he went to the shop. There was a huge discount. Not only could he afford eight computers, he afford, managed to buy the accessories, the words on the keyboard that had uh, Burmese words, uh, uh, thumb drive. He bought all the accessories and he had enough money for one spare computer. And he found someone who needed it, another missionary who needed it and bought it. That's the way God provides. And you know, when you think about it, the way God provides in your homes, in your little ways, pause and think how God provides for you. When we left, when I left uh, Prison Fellowship and came to Barker Road, um, it was a very painful time because it was, we ended, our term that ended from Prison Fellowship in, in great conflict. And Basically, I was thrown out. My wife lost her job. And then I was struggling one income, suddenly from two incomes, one income. And I thought, how to survive? First few months, various people came, shook my hand and said, hey, Mingli, uh, welcome. Uh, here's a gift for you. And the money seemed to keep coming in enough to help us two incomes until we managed to adjust our lifestyles. And then the money stopped. But you know, God provides all the time when we pause to think about it, when we turn to Him. 
whether in the, in the corporate world, in our homes, where you pray simple prayers, God bless our marriage, bless my mother-in-law, bless my daughter-in-law. Prayers like that. Prayers for God to provide. Remember the next part of Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Simple prayer of God, asking God to provide for me. When we live in the kingdom of God, we have a king who watches over our smallest needs and will meet us there. Takes that step of faith to say, look, I want to, God, I want to enter this kingdom. But look, if you were to continue in this king, kingdom of darkness, even as I read this story about palace intrigues, when you put yourself in that place, you get palpitations, you get very sick because you are being attacked left, right, center, you're led by fear. If you enter the kingdom where the king gives himself for you, that's where there is peace, that's where there is joy, that's where you find a treasure of real value and the pearl of great price. Let us pray. Father, open our eyes and stop us from our foolishness of engaging and continuing to live in this kingdom of darkness. Because, Lord, the kingdom of darkness pervades our workplace, our schools, our homes, even our church. And God, we're tired of that life. We're tired of striving with each other and fighting, jostling for power. And yet the more power we have, the more fearful we are, living lives of fear and stress. But here in this kingdom, same world, you offer a different kingdom. A kingdom where the king serves us where the King is sensitive to our deepest needs and our smallest needs. Where the King could easily have sent your people into home to get food, instead chose to feed your people and has options that are unlimited from five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. Father, we want this kingdom upon us even as we live in this world. Even if, as we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world and corporate life, and families that are hurting and a church that is faced with its limitations and unlimited needs. Father, we want your kingdom to come into our lives because, Lord, in that rule, there is no fear. In that rule, we see beauty and more and more beauty. In that world, there are unlimited resources because you keep giving and giving. Father, we want to grasp, we want to come into that kingdom and we ask then, come and be our king. Be the king of, even if it's me alone in my company, in my family then come and reign in me first rule in my life and then Lord through me begin your rule in other lives as well let your kingdom come and be real to us for we pray in Jesus name Amen